Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. One of my longtime favorites, both in terms of music and in terms of activism, is Sai Khan. And he's joining us today for Spirit in Action, along with two other folks, Vivian Nesbitt and John Dillon. And this week's show and next week's will be all around the musical written by Sycon called Mother Jones in Heaven. I sincerely believe that both story and music have an incredible ability to inspire us to visualize and work for the betterment of this world. That's what Sai did in invoking the history and memory of Mother Jones, a woman who galvanized and led support of unions and work for all the common poor folk back in the late 1800s. We'll head right off to Zoom, both this week and for next week, to join Sai Khan, Vivian Nesbitt, and John Dillon to talk about inspirational activist Mother Jones and Sai's musical about her called Mother Jones in Heaven. Sai, great to be back with you after only two and a half hours last week. Three and a half, who can count? Mark, for you, I will do 24 hours at one stretch. <laughs> <laughs> and Viv and John, so great to have both of you here. Thank you so much, Mark. It's a real pleasure. We appreciate the opportunity. Good to be here. And it's the first time that I meet the two of you, but I'm so pleased. I've been listening over and over to Mother Jones in Heaven, your performance, and I've been watching your video, so I, I feel like I know you. But I do think, Viv, that you look a little bit younger than Mother Jones. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> But remember, she is in heaven in the place, so she can be whatever age she likes. And you are not in heaven? I, I thought you were married to John. I am in heaven <laughs> every day, I tell you. Well, Viv, part of your background is that of an actress. Obviously, in Mother Jones in Heaven, you're singing, and you're singing about something that matters to the world. I don't know that enough people consider her one of their top luminaries, one of their inspirational figures. But I certainly, in the 1970s, started receiving Mother Jones magazine. I received that regularly then. What connected you? What's the bridge for you from being a bad girl in Breaking Bad? Oh, I was such a good girl in that one. I was, <laughs> I, was a, I was a counselor. I was drawing Walter White out. I was a very good person in that one. Uh, so you've always had this tendency towards heaven? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and John, I mean, I know the two of you are married. Is there anything that particularly drew you to the Mother Jones theme? <laughs> well, that's that's a, an interesting thing because I I was not really much of a fan of musical theater until we got involved with this and we discovered that we could do it as a folk music musical. Sorry, can I can I interject? Go ahead. When I told him that I was interested in doing this, he said. It's a musical? I said, yeah, but it's Saikon. He went, oh, have fun. And then when <laughs> <laughs> he had zero interest. He thought it was going to be like cats or something, you know, or like the sound of music. Of the, uh, <laughs> music. <laughs> so, that my parents forced me to go see. Once he discovered that it actually could be a full opera, really, and got and he heard the songs and he heard the string arrangements of them, he was like, okay, I'm in. Count me in. <laughs> And Sai, this is not your first musical that you've written. How many have you written total? Well, I've done either the songs or the script or both for seven musicals. 
But this has been the most fun of all because of Liv and John. We have had a time of it. And I just feel like in this troubled time, in this battered world we share, we need Mother Jones to come back. <laughs> As we were playing different hooks for the show. This is way back at the beginning. The one was Mother Jones is back and is she ever mad? Right. <laughs> and Mother Jones is back. And do we ever need her now? And I think both of these are true. I mean, I think Mother Jones was furious at injustice. It wasn't, you know, like a, an ideological objection to objection. It wasn't an ideological objection. It was gut. It was what she had suffered in her life that created the solidarity with every person who has suffered. But in particular, the working class. These were the people who were close to her, and they were the ones that she fought to defend. So it's wonderful to see her brought back to life by these quite gentle, decent, normal people who on stage become enraged. <laughs> You know, it's interesting that you bring that up, Sai, because that was one of the things that I found really daunting approaching the script was because of that energy that she ran. I was afraid. I liked... You were a counselor, right? Right, exactly, which is sort of a natural drift for me, someone to be fairly meditative, fairly calm, fairly, although, you know, not all the time. But when I really dug into it and found that my heart just was so in alignment with her and with everything she stood for it was easy to find that and it was i just i, I found that it was a, an acting muscle that i could work with and strengthen and learn to hone in where it was appropriate and you know the kind of rage that she held the kind of angst that she brought forward was not generalized. It was very specific. And that's what is so wonderful in the songs and the script is that you target it and you give us like, this is where it's going. You give us very specific target points to hit, which is a joy as an actor because I know where I'm going. And then it's just up to letting it happen. Did any of you, and I'm talking all three of you, did any of you grow up working class? I mean, I was myself. My father was a repairman, gas station repairman for most of his life. And he worked at a, another place where he's in the maintenance department. And of the 12 of us kids, I'm the only one to go to college. So I'm definitely working class, even though I speak college educated, right? Where did the three of you come from? It's really interesting. It's it's very hard within my family to really figure out exactly what our class background is because of the changes of the generation. So, for example, my paternal grandfather, my father's father, was a pick-and-shovel laborer of the Canadian Pacific Railway. And my mother's father was a Talmudic scholar. So, <laughs> although Talmudic scholars don't make a whole lot of money, i got to tell you that. And both of my grandmothers worked really hard at things like keeping store. In, in, in mill towns. So that's that's sort of on the edge. Myself, my father was a rabbi, and that's a very interesting class structure. But he was a, a rabbi working with students on the Hill of Foundations on college campuses. My mother grew up for a while quite wealthy and then became desperately poor. So I myself am somewhere in the upper middle class, but I identify with my forebears who were poor and working class. 
And that's that's where my heart lies. That's part of my identification with Mother Jones is to share that class rage at people who don't respect people who work hard all their lives. What about you, Viv? My father was an Episcopal minister. Again, sort of out of time and class structure, someone who traveled between. But he was also English and emigrated to the United States in 1952. He grew up in a family of actors in England. He grew up as an artist. He went to architecture school. And my mother's family was all military. They worked very hard and were officers in the, in the United States Army. So I don't know. We didn't come from the blue-collar traditional description of a blue-collar working class, which is set up in a way in our minds. I think that's very structured. You know, this is what those trades would be. But I would say that uh, my sort of surfing in between, between the military history and seeing all the people that came into the military and also in my father's position as an Episcopal minister, his having to navigate between the ultra wealthy, because we, you know, he was predominantly in Toledo, Ohio, he was and there was, you know, all the glass people and all the Jeep and, you know, all the, there was a lot of industry there where he was, we lived in the area where all the Elites and the Bontons lived. So he had to navigate that world, which he wasn't particularly comfortable in. And he also was marching on Washington in the Civil Rights Movement and was there on the mall when Dr. King gave his speech. And so I came from this background of you have to be able to talk to these folks. You have to be able to work all the different levels. But by God, there's some things that need fixing in this world. And so I think I came from a rarefied position to be able to play the role of Mother Jones, because that was one of her gifts, was being able to see the world as it was, talk to presidents, be best friends with governors, and also get down in the dirt with the guys and tell them what's what. And John, what about you? I come from slightly different background. I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, and my family owned one of the three largest businesses in the town. They employed around 100 people at the time when I was growing up. So I can kind of come from the other side of the fence. And I rebelled against that as a child of the 60s. I became a hippie, left my family, started hitchhiking all over the country, and, and really wanted to learn what it was like out there in the world, in the working class and in other types of people. I eventually went back and worked in the family business for a number of years, and after quite a few years, decided that that was not for me. I was really not comfortable being in that position for some reason. I don't know why. But now, as a a working musician, going into addiction treatment centers and helping people that way, I really get to see what it's like down there in the trenches. All of this is getting us to Mother Jones. Now, Mother Jones, early 1900s. You know, I was trying to place. I don't actually have this in mind. I know that unions really hit strongest, their strongest point, maybe going 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and then 70s, there started some decline in unions. Are you talking 18 or 19? 1900 is what I'm talking about when I think they hit their peak. I could be wrong, but I'm sure we've got at least one historian or two historians here. At the time that Mother Jones in the late 1800s is coming to the U.S., 
unions were still scraping their way up the line, right? Yes, she became very interested in what was happening with the unions during the Haymarket in Chicago. She became very aware of what was happening. She was, I believe, still living in Chicago at that time, and that was in the 1890s. Is that right, Cy? Um, it's in the 1800s somewhere, roughly 1870s to 1890s. It's, it's actually a period of great militancy in the United States, some of which is labor-related, some of which is related to other issues. But the labor movement or the labor movements, they ebb and flow. But she came along at a time when, you know, as Viv said, that there was something called the Haymarket Massacre. It was basically there was a great rise in very left-wing agitation and organization, primarily by immigrants. And there was an incident in Chicago, depending on who you talk to, either a frame-up or something that really happened, in which somebody threw a bomb into a rally. Several police officers were killed. And several of the instigators were the who were framed um, were hanged. So that developed a huge amount of class anger. Uh, it was already there, but this instigated it. So this is what Vivian is talking about. It was in 1886, and she had, by that time, had already lost two lives in her two iterations of herself. Three, really, if you include immigrating from Ireland. And then becoming a teacher and living in Memphis and becoming and falling in love and having a family, only to lose that. And then also to leave Memphis and move to Chicago to become a seamstress for wealthy families where she found her work. She could survive as a woman on her own and then to lose all of that in the Chicago fire. So she came from nothing, went to a rewarding life, lost that, went to another form of a rewarding life, lost that, and all because the services were not there for the working class. The places that were hit the hardest were the places where she lived, which was the working class, the poor neighborhoods. And while she lived and worked and sewed for the wealthy, she saw the juxtapositioning and she saw the power of what could happen if people were made aware. And so she created this piece of political theater, really. She created this identity, the white hair, the black, always in mourning, always in mourning. She always wore black. And she cut a swath through society in a way that was frightening and also tintillating. So she was on the front pages of the newspapers during the time. So she's been forgotten in many, many ways. But at the same time, if you go back and you look, man, she was Famous. Everybody knew her. This, of course, is written into the script of Mother Jones in Heaven. I understand we can share some bits from both the play and the music that's part of the musical. Where should we start? I love your description of Mother Jones's life as political theater. I never thought of it in that way. But I think that's absolutely accurate. She has a brilliant sense of timing. She knows exactly when to move onto the stage, when to move off of the stage. She goes soft and then she goes tough. And she knows how to create extraordinary events, theatrical events, like marching 200 disabled children from the mills of Pennsylvania to Theodore Roosevelt's opulent home on, on you know, Sycamore Bay. I can't remember. Oyster Bay. And I think the point was this trying to psychologize, whether it was trying to figure her out, what Vivian describes so accurately is this loss, gain, loss, gain. And the extraordinary first loss, which happened in Memphis, 
was that right after the Civil War, because of you know, the, the lack of sanitary conditions, there was an epidemic of yellow fever that swept through the South. Within one week, Mother Jones lost her four children and her husband. I mean, imagine that level of trauma. Imagine the impact of it. We need John, who does extraordinary work in recovery. How do you recover from something like that? That's what I find part of her fascination as a theatrical character. And Vivian just gave me a whole new tool to, to understand that. I feel like she took her grief and put it to service. Like she knew deep in her soul that there was no point to these events unless you put it to work for the betterment of others. And it was her only way out. I mean, there's a definite indicator that she was barking mad for many years and somehow found her way through and became a voice of the people, a voice for labor. So what do we think is the song that best illustrates that? All of them lead up to it so much. But for me, the linchpin of the whole show is Mother's because it sets her up, kind of defines her as a mother. It's the point for me, it's the, it's the point that I drive to in the whole show is all the energy has to go right up to that moment where it tips and she finally has this moment of, of real self-revelation to the audience where she's saying, what now of this woman with no children she can claim? You know, it's just, it's such a powerful song. In the song, she moves from sort of a quiet analysis of class, but by the end, she is raging. She is vengeful. She is like almost out of control, although she isn't. And I, I agree with it. I think that's the moment when we realize that it's not just a love of humanity that's motivating her. It's not just caring for others. She wants revenge. She wants rich to pay a price for what they've done. And I think you can sing it for us live, right? I can. Over to you, folks, again, today for Spirit in Action. We're visiting with Sycon, Vivian Nesbitt, and John Dillon. Together, they've been sending on this energy of union organizer Mother Jones through the musical known as Mother Jones in Heaven. And this is one of the songs performed, in this case, by Vivian Nesbitt. There are men of power riding in their private Pullman cars. With their watch chains and their diamonds, their port wine and cigars. But the curtains on their coaches are like blinders on their eyes. They never see the suffering, they never hear the cries. These men who own the sweatshops, dressed in their Sunday finery, sit dining with their mothers all wrapped in furs and courtesy, attentive to each whim and wish until silk hat in hand. They bow upon the parting step, so good to see you, mother. Every single worker is to a woman born. The mothers are esteemed and praised, the children used and scorned. How can workers be exploited, though their mothers are acclaimed? If motherhood is sacred, why are our children murdered, broken, maimed? So what now of this woman? 
with no children she can claim, who will never hear an answer, though she calls them each by name. Her eyes grow bright with anger, her tongue is sharp with age, her heart swells up with loneliness, her blood runs hot with rage. There are coffins in the cutting room, shrouds upon the wooden stairs, there are marks on the machinery that are not the tracks of sweat or tears, but the blood of broken workers crying out for mercy. Each the child of a mother, each the victim of the factory. Let me cut them to the marrow, let me weight them down with stones, let me break into their slumber, let me chill them to the bones. As a worker, next to nothing, as a mother, nearly all. I drew the mystery of motherhood around me like a sword, a shield, a shawl. I draw the sanctity of motherhood around me like a sword, a shield, a shawl. Wow, thank you so much, Viv, for that. Wow, awesome. Who wrote that? (laughs) Great writer. Something so interesting, like... Did I write that? Really? How did I do that? I have no memory of memory. If you ask me, why did you write it? When did you write it? How did you write it? I have no idea. Wow, you did a great job with it, Viv. Well, isn't that the definition of the creative process, though, is that when you tap into a character as a writer, I wouldn't know this, really, because I'm not, I've written some things, but not, not like this. When you're tapping into something, Sai, does the voice of the character start to speak to you louder than your own? Well, you have to do that. I mean, I am not Mother Jones. And I read book after book after book. You know, listen, there's only one recording of her, and she's like really old, so you can't tell very much. It's not that you become that character, but you have to try to speak as you imagine they would have spoken in both the songs and in the script. I tried to imagine what she would have actually said. And now it's helpful because because she was so notorious and considered so dangerous by those in power that every time she spoke, somebody from the state agencies was there taking notes. So we actually have the vast majority of her speeches verbatim, exactly as she spoke them, you know, with a couple of mistakes here and there. So unlike so many historical characters, where we don't know what they actually said, except that everybody cheered. With Mother Jones, we actually have a very good sense of what her rhetoric was like, of what her voice was like. So I read speech after speech, and then without ever quoting anything in that, I tried to put that rhetoric into the voice I created for her in the musical. So the musical, Mother Jones in Heaven, and remember the website, motherjonesinheaven.com, was written by Sai Khan. And he's recorded the songs, or most of the songs, the 10 songs, I believe, that are part of that. There's actually more. There's 12 songs in the show now. We added two and took one out. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. He actually wrote the script and the songs for Mother Jones in Heaven, but Vivian Nesbitt and John Dillon have done the most to take it out to the world all around the place. 
And so we've got the gift that Saikon has of songwriting and script writing and channeling these words from Mother Jones coming out to the world. And you've performed this everywhere, haven't you, too? We've performed it nationwide. We've performed it in Washington State, Portland, Oregon. We've performed it in Chicago, New Mexico, and also several places throughout West Virginia and um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And we had a big tour booked that was going to hit a lot of the states, but sadly, we were downed by covid so we're sort of still rebuilding that. We also, one of the most meaningful performances really was at Mount Olive, where she's buried, right hard by the Miners Union Cemetery. So we were able to visit there, stand there, and be with her spirit, and also perform at a winery, which is not unlike what we were doing. We've performed in Washington, D.C., actually in a pub, which is hilarious because that's where it, Cy came up with this device of Mother Jones arriving in heaven to discover that it is her favorite. It looks just like her favorite Irish pub in heaven, a pub in, actually in Maryland. So we are actively out touring again now that we have um, this. And I have to say that the longer we do the show, the deeper it goes and the easier it goes and the more embodied it becomes. I mean, the show is 11,428 words. Are you sure? Who's counting? <laughs> that was a fact I could never unsee. The mistake of hitting word count. And I was, and then it came up with like 11,420. I was like, I really wish I didn't know that. I really wish I didn't know that. So, John, how many notes are in the musical? Since you're, you do the instrumentation. At least a thousand. <laughs> Although, who's counting? I want to say, yes, I wrote the first draft of the script and the songs. But over the many years that we've worked together, both have been improved by contributions from John and from Viv. There's a great music festival in North Carolina called Merlefest. It's named after Merle Watson the son of Doc Watson, who was killed in a tractor accident. And the festivals, it's a nonprofit festival, raises money to send poor students to the music department at the local community college. And we sat in their trailer, they call the Mothermobile, <laughs> and worked through that script, you know, and say, well, would she have said this? Well, maybe not. Should the song go here? I mean, my longtime partner and spouse, Elizabeth Minnick, who's a feminist public philosopher, author, my best friend since 1959, we met in the 11th grade, my beloved partner and spouse for 45 years, always reminds me that theater is the most collaborative art. And it really is. And that's a good thing. And that's a bad thing. You know, not all of our collaborators in Mother Jones in Heaven worked out. Right? Some of them were gone now. But the three of us are the core, and it's no longer simply my show, it's our show. And Viv and John really, you know, Vivian is, I, I've never acted, well, I did act in one high school play, but I wasn't asked to do that again, so that says something. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, John is, is a guitar builder, he's an extraordinary musician, he's a songwriter, he's a performer. Vivian is third generation actor from a famous acting family and has been on television on the stage so i mean we all brought these things and you know the script is no longer my first draft and the songs are no longer my first drafts of them so they contributed in a way that brings my words because that's all they are from the printed page or in this case the xerox page lifts them off that page and brings them to life 
And that's why I love working with these two folks, because they are collaborators. We've even got another collaboration in the works, but I don't know if they're going to tell you about that. It's still a secret. <laughs> Up to you guys. And Mother Jones gets rejected from heaven. The next one. <laughs> <laughs> But I want to keep going with some of the script and some of the music from Mother Jones in Heaven. And part of really why I have this here today for Spirit in Action is because my growing up was heavily influenced by the union. I say the union, but there's obviously many unions of different sorts. That energy, it made my father a lifelong Democrat. And in so many ways, I know that the well-being of my family came exactly from this work of the union. Mother Jones was doing this a hundred years before my family came of age. So what else can we share to give people this flavor? You know, you were talking about pubs, and I hope that not everyone in that household is a heavy drinker because I think you've wised up from that point. <laughs> uh, my family actually had a, quite a problem with alcoholism and all. So where do we meet Mother Jones? I would say that Molly Maguire's, the song about the Molly Maguire's was left out of one iteration of the show that we did. And we had to bring it back because people actually, sometimes things get left out for time. Like we had a 60 minute presentation and we were like, okay, so the Molly Maguire's hit because the show as it is now runs about 85, 86 minutes. The Molly Maguire's is an essential piece because Molly Maguire spoke to class spoke to the Irish experience in America. It speaks to Mother Jones finding her home because she talks about it. This looks just like my favorite Irish pub that was owned by a man named Jack Kehoe, where she used to spend so much time, she says. And we actually visited Jack Kehoe's tavern in Gerardville, Pennsylvania. Now, it was closed and I'm kind of glad because it, you know, I would love to go back when it's open, but I got really scared. <laughs> just, just, I felt like, oh my gosh, they're all still here and they're all really mad. Um, so, <laughs> they got hanged. You're right. And yeah. they're pissed. State of Pennsylvania, um, <laughs> Pennsylvania's day of the rope. They were all framed up. These are the Molly Maguires. And Molly Maguire herself was probably a mythical character during the days way back in Ireland when the mostly Roman Catholic working class rose up against the English Protestant overlords. She was claimed by the young men who really fought a war of resistance, an armed battle, sometimes with pikes and clubs, who rose up against the landlords. They claimed her as their leader. It's not clear that she actually existed. You know, they said that they were led by this woman with fiery red hair who always wore red petticoats and who led them into battle. And this is in the coal mining history. I come from Pennsylvania. I come from central Pennsylvania. My dad was the rabbi at Penn State back in the great football years. He was a working class kid. He loved contact sports. He, I'm not saying he ever rushed the Saturday morning services. I will tell you that we never missed a kickoff. At all the, <laughs> at all the but when we would drive to State College, didn't have in those days no airport, no train station. We drove to a town called Lewistown, which was 30 miles away, but it took you over an hour over the mountains. And as we passed through, we used to go through mining camps. And I would see these houses that were just bare boards and, and tar paper. And on the porches, there would be these 
raggedy barefoot children and these gaunt mothers dressed in, in clothes made of feed sacks. And I used to say to my mom, Mom, what is going on here? Who are these people? What is being done to them? And, you know, she would explain as patiently as she could. And I, I view my solidarity with miners and mining families goes back to those experiences. The Molly and Maguires in Pennsylvania were an underground organization of Irish immigrant coal miners who were not a formal union, but fought for the rights of miners. And they they were violent. There's a great Sean Connery movie called The Molly Maguires that I highly recommend. But they were in a war with the coal and iron police who worked for the Pennsylvania Railroad. And, you know, they assassinated mine foremen. They blew up coal mines. This is not stuff of which I approve, but historically, it's just a testament to how badly these poor Irish immigrants, most of whom didn't even speak English, they spoke Gaelic. We forget that the Irish came to this country speaking the, <laughs> the Irish equivalent of Yiddish, right? So the identification with Molly McGuire is a gut sense that Mother Jones has and that she shares with all the miners for whom she fought. And we'll go straight into it. And this is again recording by Vivian Nesbitt and John Dillon. Molly McGuire's. Now there was a real man. <laughs> Not like the so-called leaders we've got in the labor movement today. King of the Mollies, they called him. Now if you and I had been drinking together in Jack's Tavern the night of June 20th, 1877, you'd know what I was talking about. Jack's Tavern looked a whole lot like this pub. Well, except here they won't let you spit tobacco juice on the floor. Of course, Jack's establishment, the floor was just a layer of sawdust on top of tamped clay. Whatever spilt beer and tobacco juice didn't soak into the ground, you just swept up and out the door the next morning or the next afternoon, depending on how long it took the bartender to wake up and get sober. But Jack wouldn't have been there to pour our drinks. No. He was sitting in prison staring at the wall, counting the months till the hangman. The jury, if you can dignify that gang of paid-off pimps and low-life informers by that name, convicted him of murdering a mine foreman. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he did. Down in the darkness, down at the breaker, Close on the midnight hour Steadily working Quietly leaving Trailing a thin line of powder The little Schuylkill Valley town Is all lit up tonight By flames that lick like tongues From the breaker fire the tight-lipped coal and iron police won't get much sleep tonight Looking for the sons of Molly Maguire Down in the tavern, banded together Strong men are hiding their sorrow over at Pottsville, 
there at the prison six men are hanging tomorrow I only try to organize the men I worked among I'm hanging in the morning will you miss me Monday early so they say the mines will open back and the coal and iron police are drinking whiskey down in the darkness standing together six men are lined on the gallows holding a red rose waiting for sunrise king of the mollies jackio the trap is sprung and mollies sons are traveling into time murdered by the men who hope to hang her but the unborn souls of union men are all with her tonight and the pennsylvania pits are dark with anger I've got the privilege today for Spirit in Action of having three guests here together, all collaborators in the glory that is Mother Jones in heaven. They are Cy Khan, who originated the script and musical, Vivian Nesbitt, and John Dillon, who enfleshed it and have been delivering it to the world. And again, we need our heroes. We need the people who inspire us to live better in this life. And as we hear when we listen to Mother Jones, she got inspired by the people in her life and she carried it on. Religion is an interesting thing in this because uh, let's say there was parts of her religious upbringing, the strictness for mother, that did not sit well for her maybe, or they didn't carry on in her life. Being a public woman in those days was still a bit scandalous. The women's movement, so much of it, I mean, the Seneca Falls Women's Conference was in 1848, and that was still considered pretty outrageous behavior for women to be presenting like that. Women didn't get the vote until 1920. And so women were working against a lot of impediments to carry this out. And Mother Jones was, of course. Say some more about Mother Jones and who she was, how she came to be. You mentioned already her kids dying, all this kind of thing. But the religious background, I think, is really interesting. Yeah, there's a beautiful sort of run up to that where when she realizes that she's actually on her own, in Memphis, she meets the man who will become her husband. And there's this tipping point where, as she describes what it was like back in those days, um, that she had no interest in unions, really. She was a school teacher. The script embodies it really beautifully, where she's like, she's learning, but she's also fiercely independent and knows that at 24, we think possibly about that time, that it was time for her to maybe have the next life experience, shall we say. So, And so Sai has developed this wonderful device where we see how it might have happened. Now, Elliot Gorn wrote a really wonderful book in which he says, 
when asked about her past, you would be met with stony silence. So she would talk about the labor movement. She would talk about the rights of the workers. She would talk about the evil of the rich and the greedy, all kinds of words that we can't use on air. But she would not talk about her past. That, again, as an actor, is a playable action. That is something I can lean into. And as an actor, I can play stony silence. I can, I can inform that. So it takes it out of the conceptual and puts it right into human behavior. So Sai has filled in all these blanks of like, well, what would it have been like for a woman at that time? What would it have been like for a woman of this particular background? And so he, there's this brilliant song with the segue that leads up to it that I hope you'll share with your audience. We'll go straight into that segment. I had left Ireland. I didn't know anything about unions back then beyond the occasional conversation I'd overheard from time to time in the parlors of the rich men where I sat sewing ballroom gowns for their wives and daughters. They talked scornfully of how terrible the unions were, how un-American. They shouted that the unions were destroying this country, making life impossible for the honest businessmen. <laughs> honest. Ha! No, I, I didn't go to my first union meeting out of solidarity. I was still Mary Harris, 24 years old, a schoolteacher, a good Catholic girl from County Cork, Ireland. Unions didn't mean anything to me. No. I went because I knew that after the meeting, there would be a dance. I had just been in Memphis a short time. I knew almost no one in the city, and I, I wanted to meet someone. You, wipe that grin off your face or I will wipe it off for you. All right, I, I admit it. I didn't want to meet someone. I wanted to meet a man. I'd never been with a man and I thought it was damn well time. It was different back then for women, even more for those of us who'd been born in Ireland, and most of all, for those with mothers like mine. Our neighbors back in Cork occasionally left home to go to church. My mother occasionally left church to come home. Most immigrants left Ireland with only the clothes on their backs. My mother, along with her two threadbare dresses, packed enough religious fervor to keep a medium-sized monastery warm in winter. She was as strict as she was pious. She noticed how even when I was no more than 12 years old, the men in our neighborhood stared at me, not just straight ahead, but from head to ankles and back up again, slowly. She saw how they followed me down the street with their eyes, turned to each other after I'd passed, smiled, shook their heads, whistled, and rubbed their thighs. She guarded me like an eagle guards its young. Everywhere I went in Toronto, herself or one of my brothers went with me. When she finally let me leave home, it was to go teach at that convent school in Monroe, where the nuns kept an even closer eye on me than my mother ever did. But now, here I am in Memphis, alone, on my own, staring at the handsome young man striding back and forth on the small Union Hall stage, exciting everyone in the room with his 
eloquence and passion. Ooh, I was getting pretty excited myself in more ways than one, if you know what I mean. Even as his eyes swept the room, I could swear he was staring straight at me. He was, too. He told me later that he kept shifting his gaze not to look into my eyes, but to look at my hands to see if I was wearing a wedding ring. He ended his speech to cheers and applause, held up his hand for silence and said, And now, let's dance. As the crowd moved the chairs back against the wall, he walked straight to where I was sitting. He stood there in his stained, soiled workman's clothes. He took my hand and kissed it. Then he said in a voice that smelled of Ireland, May I have this dance? In that instant, I knew what I was going to do and that my sainted mother would never know. My mother's life led from the house to the church to pray and to raise up a family. But here in this country I work on my own for I have left Ireland behind me for I have left Ireland behind me. One night after work at the Union Hall dance, I noticed a man from the foundry, a fiery young rebel no priest would approve. But I had left Ireland behind me, yes, I had left Ireland behind me. He turned in his seat and he gave me a glance, he said, sure, Mary Harris, you'll give us a dance. I looked at him once, and I never looked back as we waltzed away down the river. Through that long night, I never once thought of my mother who raised me so gently. For the heat of the foundry burned deep in his eyes. And I had left Ireland behind me Yes, I had left Ireland behind me When Mother Jones left Ireland coming to the United States, the great transition she made through many travails, it led her to be a supreme force in the union movement. And when you started out, Viv, with the song Mothers, I do wonder how much better, easier it was for a woman to do it, even in spite of the suppression of women's rights at that time. Because I'm Quaker, I've read back the original Quakers, Lucretia Mott and others, uh, Susan B. Anthony. These people going out and speaking in public and getting a lot of recriminations for it and sometimes needing to be accompanied and protected but there was a little bit of safety at being a woman where I don't think that the men, they could be shot with easier discrimination. People didn't have to protect the life of a man, I think, in that case. And I was wondering, Sai, your heroes certainly include Mother Jones for excellent reasons, the, the power that she brought to the union movement and to care for the poor classes, the, the people who have been suppressed so much. Who are the other union heroes you have that, I don't know if you've done musicals about all of them too, there's a lot that you could do. 
Funny you should ask, Mark. Thank you for asking it. I did not tell you to ask that question. But yes, I was raised by really tough women, really strong women. Um, my mom, my grandmothers, and there are songs about them, not in the musicals, but they're, well, actually, actually, there's a musical about my family called Stranger in This Land, and just two months ago, it was performed in Victoria, British Columbia, the first time one of our musicals has been performed in Canada, and uh, I have Canadian roots. My grandfather, I told you he was a pick-and-shovel laborer on the Canadian Pacific Railway, and he and my grandmother, who traveled alone across the Atlantic to meet him, they were married in Winnipeg, and somewhere in the very early 1900s. So yeah, so I, I identify with strong women because I owe them, because I am who I am largely because of them. There is another musical called Precious Memories, and it's about somebody that virtually no one has ever heard of. She doesn't have an, a magazine named after her. There aren't statues of her. Um, there aren't musicals about her until now. And her name is Sarah Ogunguni. She was a self-described minor's wife back in the days when you could describe yourself that way without being accused of being woke or not woke. And I'm not going to tell you the story here, but yes, many of my songs that aren't in musicals pay tribute to strong women, but they also pay tribute to the kind of people that I love, everyday people who stand for something, who fight for something, who work for something. And it doesn't need to be dramatic. I'm perfectly happy if you just manage to get through life and be kind to people. I think that takes a particular kind of courage. But do I love those who put themselves on the line to help others? Yes, I do. Folks, today for Spirit in Action, we have Sycon, Vivian Nesbitt, and John Dillon here. Websites for each of them. Artofthesong.org is a site you want to check out. MotherJonesInHeaven.com is obviously one of the first places you'll go. VivianNesbitt.com, Sycon.com, and HopeRoadMusic.com. And I'm going to ask you, John Dillon, to say more about that just shortly. But all of those links are with this program on northernspiritradio.org, as well as all my recordings and links of the past 18 and a half years I've been doing this program, recognizing those doing healing work for the world. At the same time that we raise up the anger, the, the need for problems to be redressed, and recognize those who stood for the common people back in the day, at the same time we're doing that, we're healing the world, we're making a potential better future. And I'm very interested, of course, to hear John's work in that direction myself. All of that on northernspiritradio.org. When you come, post a comment, make our communication two-way. I do like to listen. It's one of the most important things in my life. And it's raised my life better because I've been learning to listen. Also on that site, you'll find the 35 stations or so right now that carry our programs all across the United States. You can find a place near you, or maybe you can advocate for your community radio station to carry that. And please support those stations because they bring you a slice of music that's not just the top popular songs of the day with the top popular singers. They bring you such richness and depth. And so please support those community radio stations as you get a chance. There's a place where you can donate to support Northern Spirit Radio as well. And this is full-time work, and it only survives and prospers because of your help. 
Again, NordenSpiritRadio.org, all of those links, MotherJonesInHeaven.com, first of them right now, and we've got Saikon, Vivian Nesbitt, and John Dillon here. We left Ireland, she came to the United States, and eventually she gets connected with the unions and fighting for the poor people, but wow, the struggles she had to go through to get there were immense. And it took someone of very strong character to be able to do this. I want to mention the Irish at that time. (laughs) There's so many, I think, people, Irish descended today, who ignored the fact that when they came in as immigrants, which my family came kind of a British Isles mutt type of person from Ireland and Scotland, came in as lower class, the discrimination against them and people who talked down and said we should keep those Irish trash out when they came in starving from famine in Ireland. And it's painful in my heart to see that happening again. The people who's just a couple generations back, their family did the same thing. And I'm so grateful that you, Cy, Vivian, and John are raising up these stories. I'm hoping it touches someone's heart and leads them to be kinder and gentler today, the immigrants who come into our area. I think you've got a perfect song to talk about this <laughs> and part of the script. Houses on the Hill speaks so clearly about this. Sai brilliantly spoke about the yellow fever epidemic that came into the South after the Civil War. And so this next song, Houses on the Hill, really describes that experience from a, a woman's point of view and also someone who had just lost everything. So I hope you enjoy it. We're going to do the script as performed by Vivian Nesbitt, leading into Sai's recording of the song, Houses on the Hill. In 1867, the yellow fever epidemic that swept the South after the Civil War arrived on our doorstep. Have you ever seen someone die of yellow fever? I hope you don't feel like I pulled a bait and switch, but I wanted to give you a very strong reason to come back next week as we actually hear both a portion of the script from Mother Jones in Heaven, performed by Vivian Nesbitt, and the song Houses on the Hill, performed by Sai Khan. Join me next week for part two of Mother Jones in Heaven on Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. And our lives will feel the echo of our healing.